Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show. This week our guest is Neville Mines, who is universally known as Shorty. Hi, uh, how are you Neville? I'm fine, thanks Dave. Thanks for actually known as Shorty by Air Force types. Right, right, and forum types of course. <laughs> oh well, that's why I picked that name. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so um, you've had a very interesting um, career with aviation. Um, I wonder if you, we can sort of take you right back to the beginning and, and um, look at your early days of uh, what are your sort of earliest memories of aviation and, um, you know, how did you get in, interested, that sort of thing. Right, well, I was, uh, I was born in Auckland at the end, end of World War Two, and about 100 yards away from where Motet now is. Right. Now, in those days, the lake around Motet was just waste ground, you know, swamp and creeks and fennel, and that was our playground. We used to go down there and play, and mum would say, yeah, when the streetlights turn on, come on home. Right. Often, stopping weird after having fallen in the, the, a creek or the lake or whatever, but... Um, so, of course, when Motet started up... Uh, I was right there on the spot. Right. But prior to that, I'd always um, it had always been my uh, birthday trick. Because Dad used to say, "Yeah, on your birthday you can, you know, we'll do whatever you want to do." And my birthday trick was to get him to load me into the old early English upright Ford Ten. Yeah. And go down to Rooker here. Oh, brilliant! To climb all over the aircraft wrecks. In fact, some of those photos I posted on the uh, on the the forum came from those trips. Right. Taken with a good old box brownie, and they were sharp and as good as they ever were. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Same with uh, when I was at school, we did a uh, one of these school um, one social study outings to the cheese factory at Rooker here, and me and another guy got in the deep poo because instead of watching how they made cheese, except we shot up and went across to the to the scrapyard. <laughs> okay. The teacher was not impressed, but hey, it was good fun. <laughs> So that's a little factory that's just in the entrance to the airfield there, is it? Well, I don't know. This is a hell day. We're talking back in the 1950s. So, yeah. Um, yeah it's a, I'm not sure what the layout there is anymore, but there was a, a little dairy factory there. Yeah, it must be the must be the one that I'm thinking of. There's a sort of derelict um, little little factory sort of thing there. Yeah, it would have been a fairly small one. Yeah. Yeah, we can't. Um, I went that stage. I was at Grayland Primary School, and we went down from there. Okay. Right. Now, um, do I remember that your parents were involved in uh, the building of Hobsonville, or at least your father may have... Uh, my great-grandfather, ah. I'm sorry, my grandfather, my grandfather, he was the clerk of works with the Public Works Department when they built the hangars at Hobsonville. Right, right. That's I have right. a photo of him standing up there on the top of one of the spans, and uh, it's quite interesting because he was involved in... Uh, that which in a way is involved with flying boats. Yeah. My father worked on standing on flying boats after the war for a while. Yeah. I got involved with um, the Solent flying boat that's in uh, Richmond, California. And my my older son worked for a season as the, the gopher for the uh, Canterbury Goose when it was flying around. Oh, okay. So we actually had four generations involved in flying boats, which must almost be some, some kind of record. Yeah, absolutely. I think the chances of getting five generations are pretty remote. But right, yeah, there's not many flying boats around, are there? That's for sure. Yeah. Well, that's, that's really interesting. And um, so had you always had a um, family interest in aviation then when you were, even before MOTAT and that, had you... Yeah, yeah, I'd always been... I'd built model airplanes since I was grass height or knee hopper. Yeah. And... Um, in those days, the Auckland Model Air Club used to fly down at the Western Springs Park by the speedway there. Oh, yeah, yep. And, um, you know, as soon as you heard the, the motors, I'd be off there for the day. 
I mean, I can't imagine these days you're getting away with flying pulse jets like that, you know, that close to a civilization. But <laughs> there was no trouble in those days. No one cared, you know. Right, right. Everybody was having fun. Yep. And you were in the ATC as well, weren't you? Yeah, I joined the ATC. Now, I first up my ATC record here. Right. And I can tell you that I actually joined the ATC in uh, the 6th of July, 1960. Okay. And in those days, we used to do some quite interesting things with the, with the ATC. I was just looking through the, um, uh, the special, what was it called? Uh special events or something here we used to go on and that included doing a day trip on HMS Royalist oh okay which uh, I guess your modern ATC cadets don't get to, to do that much no no uh, yeah, special ATC events and parades I'll just read you one or two of them for you sure. trip on the Royalist in uh, November 1960 um, manning a recruiting store for the ATC at the Auckland Birthday Carnival which used to be held next to the lake at Western Springs Right. Uh, they have trophy for model aircraft, Battle of Britain Parade, Squadron Dance, Ardmore Grand Prix, where we used to go and help out with the communications. Right, right. Uh, that was in 1962. Uh, visit the HM HMAS Melbourne, 62. Um, we were chosen to escort the uh, girls at the Tennis Association Dance. I don't remember much about that one. <laughs> um, three Squadron Sports. Battle of Britain Parade, Squadron Dance again, uh, six, the Pukekohe six-hour race, which was the uh, uh, sort of forerunner of the, the V8s and stuff oh, right. at Pukekohe. And again, we manned the communications for the, the marshals. Right, I got you. Uh, here we are, February 65, cleaning the Lancaster. Ah, right. Uh, then we got invited to the Sea Cadet Dance, that must be entertaining. So, yeah, we used to do quite a few good things with the ATC. Yeah, yeah. And did you get to have any flights with them? Um, with yeah, the okay. Well, just look up my passengers of flying. It's just what I fished this book out, wasn't it? Yeah. One of the few I haven't packed away yet. Passengers of flying log. My first flight in the ATC was in A. Hastings. Right. And then Bristol Freighters, DC-3s. And in 66, I did a trip to Singapore with the ATC on... The C-130s when they were brand new. Wow, with the ATC? Yep. Wow. Me and a guy called Nigel Davies, who I think became a New Zealand captain. Okay. And we were selected, to get, well, we were taken as supernumerary crew on um, November 66, so the Herks were pretty new. And we did a trip up uh, to uh, Singapore through, uh, where did we go? Boom, 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 boom. Uh, Auckland to Brisbane to Port Moresby to Labuan, Labuan to Changi, and then came back to Changi, Cocos Islands, Perth, and then back to Fanapai. Because yeah. that was during confrontation, so they couldn't fly over Indonesia, yeah. which is why we came back via Cocos Islands. Okay. And of course, there was a big RAF um, establishment at Labuan, and a lot of our army troops there, and we were taking some stuff up for them too. Oh, right. It's just, um, for me, it's, it's quite mind-boggling that you guys got a trip like that, you know, just as, <laughs> as you know, young kids sort of thing. Yeah, well, I was, uh, I was, yeah, it must have been just about my swan song, because I was getting close to 20 by that age. I right. should right. really have left, but, um... Uh, Do you think that was all part of the, um, trying to get you to join the Air Force, kind of? Uh, I'm not sure. I previously, I had applied to do the ATC Flying Scholarship thing. 
but I missed out because I, that's when I found out I needed the glasses. Right. So whether it was sort of a consolation prize for that, I don't really know. But, right. Um, when they said, do you want to go? I said, yes, thank you very much. <laughs> so you just went home to mum and dad's, dad and said, I'm off to Singapore for a couple yeah, of days. Yeah. I was back in a week off the skin of fingers. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. And um, Changi at that stage, of course, still RAF Changi. Yep. And we stayed in the Air Transit Centre, which was the sort of like the RAF Transit Hotel there. Right. Oh, okay. So that was all good fun. Yeah. Now, that Hastings flight, that was your um, first ATC flight. Was that your first flight ever, or had you flown before? No, no, I'd flown piece. My, my first flight ever was from Mangary Airfield in a Piper Cub. Ah. ZKBQQ was the aircraft. Okay. And the date would have been, I think it was probably my 10th birthday. Right. So right. I used to be about 56. And Mangary was just a grass airfield. Yeah, yeah. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. So that's where we get to there, and then um, I was got quite involved with Motet when they started up, because you know, I was only 100 yards up the road from them. Yes. And yep. that's where I got to meet up with guys like um, Bunny Darby, Monty Armstrong, Don Sabritsky, Ken Jacobs, and all those names. Right, right. Did some trips. At this stage, I was um, working, or should I say I was employed by the railways Okay. as, as a clerk, and um, we did a few trips around the country getting... Collecting aircraft part, went down to Martin, digging up um, Vincent and Wildebeest parts. Yeah. Uh, where else did we go? To Martin to get um, the mosquito. Okay. Oh. Um, out, out to Ardmore, because at that stage, Ardmore, the Auckland University Engineering Ward at Ardmore, and they had a lot of old aircraft engines. Yeah. We went and collected some of those. Right. And, um, yeah, so I sort of got to know all that, that lot then. Right, okay. Well, that must have been a really interesting time, I guess. Well, yeah, at that stage, Motet were the only people into aircraft collection. Yes. Motet and Johnson, and that was it. You know, no one else was, was doing it. Yeah. And that's why um, I had all those photos of aircraft wrecks and stuff. Right. Because, you know, no one else was around the place. Yeah, exactly. And then um, when I joined the Air Force, and the Motet guys knew I was going down to Wigram, they gave me a big list of aircraft to check out for South Island. <laughs> um, that's when I went and bought that Anson off Charlie Dodge for £10. Yeah. And um, uh, didn't do all that much out of Wigan because I was only there for two months on my recruit course and I didn't have a vehicle, which made it a bit harder. Right, right. Anyway, so I did my recruit course at Wigan from uh, about April 67. Hang on, I'll just look on my form one two five here. Yeah. Oh, got all, got, still got some of the paperwork you see, Dave. Wow. Uh, when did I do the fifty four M in the recruit course? And that was um, yeah, twenty ninth of March sixty seven. Right. I joined joined the Air Force, so I was on fifty four M in the recruit, and then uh, after that I went up to one TDS to do my basic engineering course. Right, yes, yep. Uh, so that was, um, which took me through to basically about uh, August 67, uh, yeah. So, uh, no, October 67, when we finished with the basic course. Yeah. And from there, I got sent across to Fenerpai to do on-the-job training. Yeah. On C-130s. Oh, okay, yep. We were doing um, chine tank replacements, and because in those days I was very small and very skinny, 
I got appointed to be chief mouse for the tank bay. <laughs> and they used to stuff me into C-130 wings. You get in behind the outboard engines, and then you can go up the inside the wing out to the wingtip. Right, okay, yep. It's not fun. No, I'm no. Sure it's not fun. I, I bet it wouldn't be. I've heard of other guys that have done the same thing, and they said exactly the same thing. It's a rotten job. Yeah, yeah, and um, if you've got any touch of claustrophobia, forget it. Yeah, you wouldn't yeah. get near the place. Yeah. And you have to decide before before you get in, when you get to the other end, do you want to be on your back or on your front, because you can't roll over. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, you, um, and the, the C-130 wing has got... Uh, big chi- uh, big milled ridges along the inside of the, the wings, so they dig in there. Oh, right. And we used to seal um, a lot of carb- uh, corrugated cardboard inside a big plastic bag and make a sort of mattress. Right. And you sort of tie that around your shoulders so they come up with you and wiggle up there. Yep, yep. Um, yeah. Just a sort of job that you wanted a UT to be doing. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, I was, I was glad that later on I put on a bit of weight and couldn't get in the hole. <laughs> but uh, we used to do it mainly at night times because really no one else should be on the aircraft when you're in the upper hole. Yeah. And um, we used to get issued with a special milk ration from the, the mess. Okay. Because they reckoned that milk would stop the fumes of kerosene, but, you know, for about three or four months, every time I, I went and see my girlfriend, she said, good. You say, God, you stink of kerosene all the time. <laughs> You're not really surprising, young lady. <laughs> mm. uh. Anyway, so that took me through the the Christmas of '67. Yep. When I then went down to Woodburn to do my uh, mix course. Okay. So this was on the days when we were separate trades. Right. Right. So we did a five-month aircraft mech course. Right. Which was um, interesting to say the least. Yeah. Okay. I think we were the last course to do fabric sewing on a, on a tiger moth wing. Ah. Yeah, I suppose it would have been completely been phased out at that stage. There's no, nothing else would have been... No, well, the only sort of fabric around the place then would have been um, control services of Devons and Harvards, etc. Yeah, yeah. And they, they just had the one tiger wing, which we used to practice on. I'm pretty sure that we were the last course to do that. Right, Okay. Yeah, now, in those days, TDS was in the hangar next to Safe Air's hangar. Oh, yes, yep. And we had uh, Harvards and Vampires and a Devon Ford Fusage in there. Right. There was a Devon uh, that had been cut off just behind the cockpit, and uh, we could program the pneumatics on it. And I'm just trying to remember, did it have the wings or not? Uh, there was a vampire the same the, the Mark One vampire that used to be a hobby was down there yeah um, minus the tail booms because the booms were in the skin uh, skin section and they'd been cut off just outside the air brakes but that was for us to play around with the hydraulics and stuff on okay yeah uh, John Smith now has that okay yep yep and he's got one of the Mark One booms at least because one of the booms are floating around minus the skinning and they're very distinctive with their um, square top rudders, finishing right. rudders. Right. Yeah. Uh, I guess yeah. at, at that stage you were working on these fairly vintage aircraft, or at least older aircraft, and you must have been thinking in the back of your mind, or you know, wonder what's going to happen to these, with, with your interest from MoTAT and that sort of thing. Yeah, well, so I kind of, you know, would cast cover the sides, and uh, when the MoTAT guys knew I was off to Woodburn, and I had a vehicle there because we were there for seven months, uh, for five months. Yeah. Five months, seven months, I don't know. Um, they gave me a big list of things to look at all around that area. <laughs> yeah. And that's when I first met John Smith. 
Ah, right. So that okay. was um, 3068 I first met him. Right. And there was still all the lots of stuff around the place. Uh, a lot of mosquito stuff still. Yeah. Um, you may recall I posted some photos taken of um, mosquito engine uh, cells. Yes. In yep. an apple orchard. That's right, yep. Yeah, that was down the Rapara Road, and uh, John Smith now has a lot of those too. Right. Because we were discussing them there when I saw them about three months ago. Yeah, okay. And there was the odd bit of Mustang still around. Pete Coleman had his Mustang. Yep. But this was before Pete moved up uh, up the hills there. He was living in town. Oh, right. And he also had a, uh, a, a Pegasus motor out of a walrus mounted on a big frame in his backyard, which he would crank up. Ah, right. On a walrus? F from a walrus, from yeah. A from a walrus. Yeah, oh, yeah. Right. Uh, Piggy 2M3. Yep. So mm. did you ever see his aircraft fly? No. No. Must have been before then. No, he, he, when he had this thing, he never flew it. He would just occasionally run it up. Yeah, I've, I've heard rumours that it, it, it was flying a couple of times from a marker, um, completely under the table, you know, yeah. illegally. But, but it, because I would, um, Pete Coleman used to be into racing motorbikes. Right. He told me that he had a, quite a bad prank one time. It's knocked his head around a fair bit. Yes. It is yep. pretty good now because I can do any daft thing I like and people just say, oh, that's all Petey. He's never been the same since he had that head, head injury. So he said, it's good. I can have train, you know, airplanes and trains and things. I think it's just daft old Petey. He's a bit loopy. <laughs> that's a great way to look at life. <laughs> <laughs> so it was the best thing ever happened to him. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So, and, uh, while I was at um, Woodburn, there was some story going around that the Scrappies were after some of these old aircraft. Now, the Ventura was still across at um, Russell's place in Appleby. Oh, yes, yeah. And Darby said, can you go across and whip the props off it for us? Because they would be quite attractive to a Scrappy, I mean, basically pure, you know, solid alley. Yeah. So I borrowed the Dakota prop removal kit from TTS and went across there in my trusty old A40 van one weekend with another guy, and we whipped the props off it. Right. So I took the props back to Woodburn, and I thought, well, where the hell are we going to stow these damn things? <laughs> I thought, I know what I'll do, I'll put them in my wardrobe. That's a good idea. <laughs> in barracks. <laughs> in barracks. <laughs> so I poked all my, all my uniform and stuff into kit bags and threw that into the, into the, lock, into the um, box room there. Yep. And had these six bloody Ventura props sitting in my wardrobe and all the spiders and stuff up on the shelf. <laughs> Great. Come Friday morning for the CEO's inspection, he opened my wardrobe up <laughs> and you could hear the clang of his jaw at the, at the ground. <laughs> oh, God, please explain. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Uh, had it not occurred to you to put the props into the box room? <laughs> Well, somebody might have nicked them or damaged them or something. Yeah, true, true. Hell, I mean, you can get more uniform. You can't get more bloody props, can you? That's right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> you big pedal blade Ventura ones. <laughs> so that was all, all fun and games. But there was a lot of cheating engines around the face still, too. Right, yeah. Um, you know, behind people's sheds and back of their garages, etc. Okay. Um, the garage at Renwick had a couple behind it. And there was behind the old dairy factory at Harpuku, there was remains of an Oxford. Um, the other guy who lives off the corner of of the airfield um, at Fairhall, uh, whose name escapes me right now, 
Um, he had two Oxfords over there still. Yeah. Oh, uh, do you mean that, um, that lives in the actual house with 16 Squadron? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, John... Um, yeah, John somebody. Yeah, his name escapes me too, sorry. Yeah, well, he had a... There was a couple of Oxfords there still. Because when... Um, uh, what the... When the guy bought all the Oxfords, um, my memory's going. Uh, anyway, when he bought all the Oxfords, he had to move them off the airfield within a certain length of time. Right, right. Edwards was his name, wasn't it? Jack, uh, Jack Edwards or something? Anyway, so he made arrangements with the guy on that farm that he could shift all the Oxfords there, and in return he gave him two Oxfords right. as, as sort of payment. Right. Uh, uh, Jack Gould, that was his name. Jack oh, Gould. yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So he um, and mostly, oh, well, all the officers I came across, we could all track them back down to Gould's, um, you know, um, lot that he bought. Right. He bought them all for paid ten pound each for them, and was selling them to the farmers for thirty two pound ten. Oh, okay. Um, the mosquitoes were sold for eighty eight pound. Wow. And the mustangs went for seventy five. Wow. Keep your heart out. <laughs> this just seems wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. And we're, uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of sort of, yeah, well, there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of farmers bought them wanting the hydraulics and the cables and the nuts and bolts and things. Yeah. And the wheels too for trailers and stuff, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Because any sort of hardware was hard to, hard to get after the war. Yeah. And they'd also uh, broken up some vampires. Uh, when you're leaving Woodburn, heading towards town, you go over the diversion bridge there, just... Yep, yep. Yeah, well, in the paddock, on the town side of that bridge, and on the, uh, would be the western side. Yeah. Um, some vampires were broken up there. Okay. Uh, well, after they'd broken up, they then basically set fire them to get all the brass nuts and screws and things out of them. Oh, right. And there's also, a bit closer to town on the opposite side of the road, there's another T-11 fuselage which I think Philip Burns might have got. Yeah. There was a T-11 in the um, kids' playground. So, yeah, there was a, still a lot of airplane stuff around Woodbury yeah. at that stage. Yeah, it seems like it. That's amazing. And, you know, some of that stuff wouldn't be around now if it wasn't for people like you that were taking an interest. So, you know, that's, yeah, that's an amazing thing. Yeah, people, that's quite funny, because everywhere you went, people say, oh, are you John Smith? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. But, um, anyway, so after I did my uh, my mix course, I got posted to the fabulous 14 Squadron. Right, right. With Canberra's. Right. Okay. Yep. Now that was um that was quite magic because we would regularly go to think we would do six weeks in Singapore and then ten weeks back in New Zealand, then another six weeks in Singapore. Right. So yeah, we were zipping around the place, and at that stage the squadron strength was about 90 odd people. Yeah, because of course it was all the you know, sort of individual trades. So we had engine guys, and we had airframe guys, and yeah, we had instrument, and we had radar, and we had electrical. And yep. This was prior to um, you know any sort of amalgamation at all. If you were wonder if you're taking something apart, you got the electric, the electrician to have to come and disconnect it, and then the instrument guy would come along and he'd take his bits off. Right. And then we'd you know, do whatever we wanted to do, and then they'd all come back one at a time and put it back together again. All right, okay. Which, um, and the guy on the forum by the name of 14 Liney. Yes, yep. Um, that's why I met up with him, Dave Bryant, who lives in Canada. Right, right. 
In fact, I shared, shared a room with Dave several times on our trips. Okay. So you were based at Ahakia at yes. this stage. Um, and where were you getting trips away to? Mainly to Singapore. And was this for a couple of weeks for exercises, that sort of thing? We or? would do six weeks on a Vanguard exercise. Right, okay. Um, we also did a, an exercise they called Townhouse where we went to Tyndall in the Northern Territory. Right, that's out in the desert, isn't it? Yeah, and um, the idea of the Tyndall exercise was uh, it was a defence exercise for Darwin whereby the uh, Aussies with their mirages and the pulse of lightnings and bulldog miss, uh, bloodhound missiles and they had something else there. They were defending Darwin and us and the Aussies and a Pommy Canberra squadron were at Tyndall and we were doing the attacking of the place. Oh, okay, yep. And that was, uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun as well. Yes, yeah, They decided at one stage that they would put an aircraft over Darwin every half hour for 24 hours to see whether, you know, the, the defences up there would crumble. Right. So, yeah, all day, all night, there was a couple of cameras racing off to, to beat the crap out of, out of Darwin. Oh, okay. Wow. And eventually the, um, the crew got told that they were not to be flying so low over the harbour to beat the defences. It's working on the fences, okay, but it's scaring the crap out of everybody on the, on the ships because they were <laughs> below mast height. <laughs> that must have been pretty exciting. Yeah. Um, I think at that stage Pat Neville was still the CO. Yeah. The guy, Seward, who's got that um, very good Canberra website, he was a nav on Canberra's. Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of the names, um, Don Smith and Gavin Jathui and stuff, they were all on the squadron then too. Right, right. Without doubt, it was a B squadron to be on. Yeah, sounds like it. Okay. Um, and how long were you on the squadron for? Just on two years. Right. And then I got sent off to my fitters course. Right, okay, yep. Mm. And the fitters course, again, was another, was seven months. Now, at this stage, I'd got married in between times, but I'd um, left my wife up in the Hakia. Yep. And I shot off to Woodbury for seven months. Okay. Good scheme. <laughs> in fact, when I first got married, we'd been married, gone on a honeymoon, I'd been back one week, and then I shot off to, went on townhouse to Tyndall for two weeks, and then on to Singapore for another six. <laughs> wow. However, fortunately, I'm not married anymore, so that's, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, well, um, so w once you finished your fittest course, did you then go back to Jets or...? Yeah, I went back to Ahakia then, and by that stage the Skyhawks had arrived. Ah, right. What a, what a retrograde step. You reckon? Oh dear. I'll put that in a special for Don. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, the Skyhawks, you can't take it anywhere without heaps and heaps of equipment. Yeah. The, the Canberra's, they'd take a, a, a book of um, requisition vouchers in their pocket, a sack full of cartridges to start them with, and that's all they needed, away they go. Okay. You didn't need stands and starters and ladders and all that sort of rubbish. But w what about um, actually working on the, on the line and that? W which was the easier aircraft for you guys to... Well, again, I only worked on cameras actually at line level, so nothing particularly big there. Yeah. And then when I came back to Ahakia, I was in the hangar uh, when they did the first 50-hour checks on the Skyhawks. Right. And it was on the first 50-hour checks that we took the catapult hooks off them. Yep. Um... One of the other people that was still on 14 squadron was Trevor Bland. Oh, yes, yep, yep. He was on 14 then. 
because um, we he used to play a trumpet very well at the Squadron Happy Hours at the Hell of the Swimming Pool. And on more than one occasion, Trevor and his trumpet end up in the bottom of the swimming pool. In fact, I was talking to him at a classic wings of the Mark and he said, yeah, I remember those days. I used to get very wet very often. <laughs> <laughs> mm. And um, uh, we also used to do the trick where the with the Canberra's they had a uh, what was called the pannier which fitted up inside the bomb bay for carrying things yeah and we used to get, put a pannier in one if we are going to have a happy hour load it full of cans of beer and then send the aircraft on the high level Navex planned to land about 20 minutes before the happy hour started right so the aircraft would come back in we'd quickly do the after flight and put it to bed for the night while the guys unloaded all the cold beer off the pannier and away you go <laughs> It's better than having a fridge. Yeah, well, it was a, you know, a brilliant beer cooler. Fantastic. Cost the taxpayer a few dollars, but hey, it was good fun. <laughs> and also, one of the other things that happened in this Singapore is the um, 14 Squadron were using the range at Asahan, which is out from um, Malacca. Yep. And th- because we were using the range, we had to provide a range party. So I volunteered to go up there as part of the range party. And we were just basically making sure that you know there was, the range was safe and yahooing around. But while we were there, we had a single pioneer that belonged to 20 Squadron. Because yeah. they were also using the range. They normally have hunters. Yeah. They, had a twin, they had a single pioneer as a FAC aircraft. So we looked after that for them too. Okay. And that was uh, an interesting aeroplane, for sure. Yeah, sounds like. Uh, it was like a post-war light sander. Right. Surprisingly big. And a very you know, short takeoff type thing. Okay. Right. So where are we up to now? Um, <laughs> yeah. Where are we up to? So uh, how, how long were you actually in the Air Force for altogether? I did, did the full stunt to get my, my pension. Yep. And, and was most of that on the jets then? With or, uh, or did you move around? No, because after after I spent some time at Haki, I was initially doing um, Skyhawk second line servicing. Yeah. And then I went, then I got sent to the skin bay, and I worked in the skin bay for a while. Yeah. We put the bent probes on those skyhawks, I was there when that was going on. There's a team of three of us went down and fitted all the bent probes. Yeah. And we also did the repairs to that skyhawk where the um, uh, ammunition, um, uh, where you got the gun charging bottle blew up. Okay. Yep. Which uh, Don mentions. Yep, yep. So... Um, so after that time of the Hakia, they called for volunteers to go to Tiwapa. Right. Now, Tiwapa used to have one of each technical trade there. Right. And they'd only sent it there for two years because it was sort of a mist-type posting. Yeah. But it was fairly close. Well, my parents lived in Auckland, and I had a young family, and it wasn't that far from Motad. So I said, put my hand up, I said, yeah, I'll go to Tiwapa for two years. Well, that was a really, <laughs> a real cushy number. <laughs> So, um, yeah, there's all sorts of um, fiddles and things going on there. Yeah. For those who um, out there are too young to remember, Tirapa was a stores depot uh, in Hamilton, and basically everything everything in the stores um, for the Air Force was stored there, wasn't it? Yes, it was, and um, it didn't, there was no airfield there. There was just a helicopter landing pad. Right. Any visiting aircraft would come in out of Hamilton Airfield. Right, right. Oh, so well, like Hamilton Airport. Yeah. So, um we got our boss to convince the, the CEO that we should be 
because of the aircraft might, might need some technical assistance, there should always be a tech trade out there to greet the aircraft, which is a good reason just to slope off to, to Hamilton for the day when the, <laughs> the see a freighter and an outdoor deck or something. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, it certainly does sound a bit of a cushy number. Oh, yeah, it was, um, yeah, you'd go off down to the, you'd just tell the boys you're going to such such a site and you yeah, we had to go down there and check the, the condition of the stuff in the boxes and if anything needed a, a special inspection or a servicing, what they are, uh, STIs and SMIs. Are you familiar with those? No. Okay, that's where all the items might need to be modified or something. Okay, yep. Yeah, you might have to, I don't know, change a half-inch bolt for one of an inch long or something. Yeah. We had to either do that if, the, if, it, you know, if it needed that or inspect it with a gear to make sure it had that done. That was all not deteriorating and right yeah generally have a lot of fun there's lots of waffs on that place yeah enough said <laughs> of course and it's nice and uh, nice and close to the city as well yes and the um my first uh, uh, sergeant there running the section my first one was a guy steve bailey who had worked on sunderland's up in uh fiji right and Steve later went to um, Safe Air, and then his place was taken by a guy Chris Muller, whose uh, obituary was in the uh, on the forum recently. Right, right, yeah. And Chris was right into racing sidecars. Oh, okay. And he built built the sidecar powered by twin earth motorbike engines. Right. And he built it from scratch, mainly in the tech section, and he said, "Oh, we've got to go try this thing out. I need need someone to be the swinger on the chair for me." What are you doing? <laughs> it sounds like I'm swinging for you. <laughs> so um, well, there we were, blatting around the base of this thing of straight pipes, making a hell of a bloody noise, dust coach flapping in the breeze, me hanging out for dear life. <laughs> and um, after about three or four days of um, trying it out, the base here around the tech section said, um, Flight Sergeant Moller, I'd like to talk to you, please. <laughs> So that was the end of my death-defying rides. I wasn't exactly too, too sad to see them stop. <laughs> it's a bit scary. Yeah. Uh, now, uh, do I remember that you had something to do with the Avenger being repainted there at that time? Yes, uh, I was the inventory holder for the tech section, and on the inventory I had the Avenger airframe and the Avenger motor. Right. Now, when I arrived, the Avenger was just silver all over with a standard um yeah, markings on it. Yeah. Now, I'd seen photos of there when I, well, I'd taken photos when I was an ATC cadet. And I said, well, we'd better repaint this thing back in its original colours. So um, that's what I did, basically single-handed. It's a fair airplane to mask out by yourself. Yeah. Especially outside. And the um, the paint was just whatever we could find. So in actual fact, the yellow was ground equipment yellow and black. Right. So people say oh, I had the wrong colours on it. Yeah, yeah, that's because that's all we had. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I, I actually do remember as a kid when that went. Um, was that in the seventies? Um, yes, I went to two Rapa. Let me have a look on this thing here. Uh, um, I'm just trying to see when I got posted to, to two Rapa. It would have been seventy four, I think. Yeah, I, I remember when whenever we used to drive past there, because you go past on the way to Auckland or something, we always used to look out for the bumblebee plane, we thought it was. You know, cause oh, okay, yep. The yellow and black stripes on it. And, um, yeah, I was I was actually quite disappointed when it disappeared from there, and then I re realised that it's now in the museum at Wigram, and I'm, I'm much happier that it's down there rather than sitting outside. So. 
because yeah, the, went, the whole base is gone now. It's a um, yeah, shopping mall. Yeah, shopping mall. Yeah. yeah, I went there and um, uh, stores there. February '74. Right. Okay. And left there again in March '76. Right. Right. Mm. Okay. But, so we, um, where did you go to next? Well, just before we get into that part. Okay. Sure. While I was at the Harkia, living in the married quarters there, in about '73. I was working in the skin bay, and for some reason I had um, worked over the previous Christmas as a uh, telephone operator. Oh, yes, yeah. One of those are manual exchanges. Yeah. And I had a lot of leave sort of up my sleeve, and one day uh, Ken Jacobs turned up on my doorstep. Right. And Ken said, hey, how do you want to, would you like to go to New Guinea? Oh. I said, excuse me? He said, we're looking for someone to go and give Monty a hand to pull these aircraft apart for the guys working for him. Monty said, you'd be the ideal guy for the job. So I said, well, yeah, that sounds cool. <laughs> he said, um, you won't be getting paid, but all your expenses will be paid. Right. I said, oh, yeah, right, I can handle that. So um, I jacked up to get a bit of extra leave here and there. And um, I went across and worked with Monty Armstrong, who I'd known from Motat days. Right. right. Now, Monty had... Uh, he, he'd start off as a, a apprentice for Teal. Yeah. I was at Motet with me and Don Sabritsky and some others. Yeah. Monty then went overseas and ended up working for Dave Talashay. Oh, yes, yeah. Who, who was, a, was a very wealthy aircraft collector. And he um, salvaged some B-26, uh, A-26 Marauders out of Alaska. Yeah. And then... Um, He'd also been after some World War II stuff, and Bunny Darby had got him onto all the stuff in New Guinea. So Monty went out there to do it, and it was too big a job for him on his own, so that's why he asked if I'd be available to go and give him a hand. Right. So right. we went off to, to New Guinea for about three months. Three um, months? Well, that, what an adventure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, when someone said, hey, you can go do it, um, yeah, I had to sort of sweet talk the, the wife because she would be getting no money for the yeah true yeah um, but yeah away we went and um, so I spent three months there working uh, we're at a place called Taji yeah uh, nearest town of Taji is a little place called Itapi and it's up on the north coast of New Guinea between Wewak and the Indonesian border right right now Taji had been a um, when they were island when they were hopping up the up the coast here chasing the Japanese. Yeah. Taji was a sort of an emergency landing strip for the aircraft attacking Hollandia. Okay. The yeah. idea being if they had any problems that were going to block the main strip, they were to drop into Taji. Right. And um, so that the, the the main base doesn't get, didn't get clogged up with dear airplanes over the runway. Yeah. And the Aussies also had a big repair depot there. So the Aussie repair depot had Beauforts, uh, mainly from 100 Squadron, I think it was underscoring, yeah. and uh, P-40s, and the American part of it, because it was about three separate strips, and the Aussies on one strip and the Americans on the other, yeah. and there there were Air Cobras, P-40s, an, eight, uh, an A-20 Havoc, bits of a B-17, a B-25 Mitchell, wow. and off the top of my head, that's the main ones that were there. Wow. So me and Monty were uh, set on getting some P-40 stuff and the Beauforts out. 
Yeah. So he wanted three Beauforts, so we went through all the Beauforts and picked out the best bits and pieces of them. Now, these aircraft were just basic hulks. They, all the engines had long gone, and there was nothing outside them because the locals had stripped them all out. Yeah. But, um, and most of the Beauforts, the outer wings had gone, the rear fuses had been taken off because it had been a repair dip, and at the end of the war, the, the Aussies said, oh, that's it, all over, we're going home. Right. Yeah, no point in spending a fortune fixing up airplanes to fly them home to scrap them. Exactly, yeah. So, um, yeah, we got enough over there for three Beauforts. Okay, and, three of them. Um, okay. Monty got, an, uh, got, a, got himself a Cobra out of it, and the P-40 that went to Derby and, Ho and Hogan yeah. also came from there. Right. Now, the other theory was I was supposed to end up with an airplane out of that collection too, but um, that never happened. Right. Um, it's long and old stories about that, which we won't go into here, but um, it took Derby about 12 years to restore the P-40, yep. and that's the one that's flying as Kurawong. Right, right. Okay, Monty Armstrong brought the Beaufort and the P-39 back to New Zealand. The Beaufort was at Ardmore for a while, stored with Duende's stuff. Yes. Yep. And the P-39 Cobra was on display at the at MOTAP for a while, on loan to them. Right, right. Monty later moved on to Australia and took the aircraft with him. Yep. Um, the Beaufort is being restored there, I think, to static. Uh, I have had contact with the guys who are doing it. They've asked, sent looking for photos, etc. And the Eric Cobra is the one that's flying as Brooklyn Bomb the second. Right, right. Flying out of Duxford. That's one of the Cobras from Idapi. Right. Later on, there's more P-40s came out of there after I'd left. Uh, the one little Jenny came out of there. Yeah. And uh, at least one other Cobra for sure. Right. Anyway, it's quite an adventure. Oh, hell yeah. It's <laughs> amazing. Uh, it knocks you on your feet a bit when people say, hey, you want to do that? Yeah. If you're into old airplanes, you whoa, whoa. <laughs> You don't need to ask me twice. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just the logistics of going into the jungle, finding these things, and getting them out again. Uh, I've seen your photographs on the forum, and, you know, it's quite mind-boggling. I know you've got some local guys there, but how many of you were there actually working on it together? There was, the, there was only two white guys, me and Monty. Yeah. And we had about 12 locals. We used to, at that stage, we were paying a dollar a day. Right. And um, they did all the, all the um, manual work. One of the big problems here is the things get so hot that you can't leave your tools on top of the wing or anything. Right. Because you go back in half an hour to grab a spanner and you burn your hand on the damn thing. Right, right. So it's that hot. Okay. And to get the center sections and the, fu the fusions separated, you have to get into the, where the bomb bay was. Oh, yep, yep. Okay, to undo some big bolts that are in there. Now, while you're, the, of course, the aircraft have been sitting on their bellies in the jungle for at that stage. 30 odd years, yep. 25 odd years. So the Bombay's been like a big cave. And it's been beloved of snakes, scorpions, and every other terrible critter you can think of. So we would dig a wee you know, trench so you could roll under the side of the Bombay and get up inside. Yep. And did the first one, we went in and out again so quick. <laughs> there were so many greeblies in there. Um, so the, the plan then was we once we dug the hole, we'd put, get a smoky old fire in the hole and leave us leave it burning for, you know, a, a, overnight so it would smoke everything out. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
we also would do a bit of exploration on the place, but of course, one issue of the swamp is also crocodiles. Ah, okay. Yeah, fun. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, crocodiles, snakes and scorpions and... Spiders. Things that will bite you and infect with your skin. Oh, yeah, lovely place. Yeah. So you mentioned that three, uh, well, the, the um, enough to get three um, Beauforts came out of there. What, what happened to the other two? Okay, the... Now, so we got three for Dave Talisay and one for Monty. Oh, Dave right. Talisay's three went to Chino in California. Yeah. And one, they've since moved on from there because Dave Talisay died. Yes. And um, if you Google actually um, both Beaufort um, survivors or something, you'll get a list of where they, they are. Ah, right. Okay. One was um, somewhere, is it Kentucky or Tennessee or somewhere over there, and that's the most advanced of them. Right. Now the one that's in Australia, I believe that's actually being restored to fly, isn't it? Uh, I'm not sure on that one. There's, there's more than one being restored in Aussie. Oh, is there? The oh. one we bought out was one of the British-built ones. Ah, right. Okay, because the the Brits, uh, the Aussies built them themselves, and but they had some passenger aircraft, which they, you know, a few went out. Yeah. And you can tell by looking at the area around the rear turret. Right. The Aussie ones, uh, Aussie-built ones, are different from the. British built ones. Okay, okay. Yeah. And there's a, we learned all sorts of things like there's a whole row of uh, 4BA nuts and bolts behind the cockpit that hold the, the forward fuses onto the rear, yeah. onto the centre fuses. The first one we tried to undo them and it was a, a hell of a job, about two days to undo this row of bolts. Next one we just got a speed wrench with a previous size socket on it and just gave them all half a tweak tighter and just sheared all the nuts, you know, all the all the bolts off. Ah, right. Yeah, they were so corroded, we weren't going to use them again anyway. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, just snapped them off and, you know, the, the job went much quicker. Okay. So you sort of had to, uh, yeah, think about things like that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so you and Monty would have been the only um, Kiwis that have been involved in getting stuff out of um, New Guinea, or if there been uh, others? Derby well? was up there off and on too. Yes, right, that's right. Mm. Okay. But there, there was only uh, us three plus the uh, one other white guy in the area, and he was the, this was just prior to uh, independence. Right. And the other white guy was what they call the um, patrol patrol something uh, patrol officer. Okay. And yeah. he was sort of like the the head prefect that ran half you know a huge vast area of New Guinea, making sure that the locals behaved themselves. Right. Right. Okay. In the local language, he was known as the Kiap. Okay. Uh, and we'd been there a while, staying at only hotel in this place, and the, the Dutchman that ran the hotel decided he wasn't making any money because we were his only guests. So he said, hey, you guys, I'm going up, I'm going, I'm shooting through. Yeah. Here's the keys to your room in the kitchen. When you're finished, go and hand them into the police station. <laughs> and away he went. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so we had this bloody hotel to ourselves. Brilliant. <laughs> and he said, better before I go, decide what beer you want, because once I've gone, there'll be no more. <laughs> so we sort of stockpiled a whole bunch of beer, and he, away he went. Okay. So you had to do all your own cooking and that after that? Or? Yeah. Yeah. It was all a bit, you know, a bit weird. <laughs> yeah. A lot of New Guinea was weird. 
Wow, you could almost make a whole movie about this, couldn't you? Oh, it was, yeah, it was, a, it was a real fascinating time, and I'm very, very glad I got the opportunity to do it. Yeah, and I'm very glad that you took your camera with you and took a lot of photographs as well. Oh, of course, just... the usual trick, though, this is in the days of, you know, pre-digital, so you need the light meter. Yeah. And what happens on day one? Light meter craps out. Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> so that's why some of the photos aren't the best. Right. Yeah, you know, they're a bit under and over, and I've been playing around a bit, but I need to brush up on my uh, Photoshop skills. Right, right. But while we are there, we met a guy called Ray Worcester. Yep. i uh, sorry, Roy Worcester. Roy lived in Weewak, and Roy's thing in life was Japanese equipment. Okay. And he had a KO-61 Tony in his front yard. Ah, right, right. I remember seeing those photos now. Yeah, amazing. The thing was pretty much intact. Wow. And the, and the engine, apart from a bit of corrosion on the rocket cover, the engine was good. And um, he also had remains of another one there because he had heard a story that when the uh, when they got independence, which was going to be the following year, that um, all the stuff was likely to disappear to the government and he would have to you know, give up his Tony. So he had another one which he was trying to make look better than this good one. Oh, okay, yep, yep. <laughs> so that they would take that one and leave him the better one. Right, right. I'm not sure what became his Tony. I think uh, Cabot Weeks may have it. Ah, oh, okay, okay. Wow. But he had a, a whole yard full of Japanese artillery and machine guns and stuff. And he was an, another real character. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, he married, uh, married to a local girl. Had a whole tribe of little pickaninnies running around the place. Yeah. And he was like something out of a Somerset Maugham story. <laughs> he said, oh, well, well, you fancy a drink? Oh, that'd be good, thanks, Roy. Oh, rum and coke? Yeah, that sounds good, mate. And he's there and he's got a pair of glasses. So he pushed back on top of his bald head. So he pours a rum and coke for it. And he gets one for himself. And then he sort of puts his hand on top of his head to hold his sunglasses or glasses in place. Yep. Tilts his head back and bowls his bloody rum and coke. <laughs> I thought he was putting the, his hand in to stop his glasses falling off. Wrong. It was so cold on top of his head on, I reckon. Because <laughs> this bloody rum and coke was... Yeah, knocked you back in your feet a wee bit. <laughs> But, oh, yeah. And he said, oh, I've got a heap of these woodpecker machine guns. Do you want me to take back home with you? And I said, well, it's a nice thought, but I could just imagine customs. So I walked through the very, trying to get through customs with a, a Japanese woodpecker machine gun. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's going to work, boy, so thank you for the offer, but we'll, we'll leave it with you. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, it, seems, it sounds like you've probably met quite a few interesting characters along the way, um... With, with through aviation, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, later on, it's um, okay. So we're now we've gone back to when um, I end up in Wigham after after Woodburn. Uh, so after Pirata. Oh, okay, yep. Uh, I went back to Wigam. I went back to Woodburn. Right, yep. Right, and then later on, I came down to Wigam. And while I was down at Wigam, uh, they were like. Guys in, Oz in the UK were trying to get flying again the ex Orange Left Sunderland that had gone to Australia. Oh, okay, yep. Okay, and the, the guy was being sponsored those days by Ryanair and it sat at Southampton for ages. Yep. Right, and then it was involved in a storm which blew it up and damaged about six feet of the, one of the wings off, it, off the wingtip. Okay. So I got woken up about three o'clock one morning with the phone going off. 
And when I answered it, this guy introduced himself as so-and-so from the, the Solent Aviation Trust in the, the UK. Yeah, right. He said, listen, you wouldn't happen to have, or no one get hold, the outboard six feet of Sunderland wing, would you? <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> but, because um, prior to that, I'd been, you know, the, the story gets very convoluted. Darby had told the guys in, um, in uh, the States with the Solent there, the one that's at Richmond, he's belonged to an outfit called the Sea Flight. Right, right. Darby had put them on to me to try and track down some Solent bits and, bits and Solent bits for them. Yep. So we had eventually had done that, and I'll come back for that story, but the guys in the UK were looking for their Sunderland winter. They had rung the blokes in the States to see whether they had any. Yeah. And the only other sort of flying by people around the place. And they said, no, but try this guy in New Zealand. <laughs> so I was getting phone calls. So we're going, you know, we'll just ring up the States. So then we'll tell us we're in New Zealand. We'll talk to this guy in the middle of the night and say, hey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. And, of course, you didn't have one lying around. Well, no, I went and looked under the bed, but I must have, I must have put it somewhere. <laughs> I <must have> <laughs> Yeah, not not an easy thing to sort of um, find, I'd imagine, if you if you wanted to get one, you know, well, a wing, wingtip. What they eventually did is they um, took the six the damaged area off off the aircraft, got it back to static, and then put it on the Sandringham that's at Southampton. Ah, right. In the museum there, and they took the the better part of the wing off that. That makes so sense. So everybody got an aeroplane that looked fine, and they got one that still flew. Right, and right. Of course, Kermit now has that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh. So you're, you're at Wigram, what were you working on there? Harvards or? No, uh, air trainers, the Harvards are gone by that stage. Okay, yep. I was at um, the, in the skin bay at Woodburn when the Harvards were going. Right. And we had heaps and heaps of Harvards um, stuff and, you know, in there for repair, you know, fins and tailplanes and elevators and stuff. And um, a lot of that ended up at my place. Okay. And then a lot of it went to Don Zabritsky after that. Right. And there was a one officer there by the name of Jerry Hay. Now, Jerry had done some deal with um, engine services in Florida where he was buying harvards off them for 500 bucks each house because they bought a lot just for the engines. Yeah. They didn't want the hulks. So the deal was, I said, okay, Jerry, I'll buy them off you. Uh, he was buying them for 250 bucks off these Yanks. Yeah. I was going to buy them off them for $500. And I had three guys lined up to pay seven fifty each for a Harvard Hulk. Yeah. And which means the fourth one would have been mine for free. Right, right, right. But um, halfway through the deal, Jerry reneged on the whole lot, and I didn't end up with a Harvard. Oh, right. Which, considering all the other problems I had later, might have been just as well. Because, <laughs> of course, for a while I had shares in the first Oster that Baz owned. Okay, yes, yeah. Me and another guy, um, we bought it and we didn't have a lot of money, so we went halves. I basically bought the airframe and he paid for the engine half it. But then his management tits up, so he had to sell off his half of the airplane. Yeah. I didn't have enough money to pay for it, to buy us half out. So I had to sort of sell my half as well. Right. And then shortly after that, my management tits up as well. Yeah. Uh, so I would have, had I still had the aircraft, I would have worked. And of course, had to pay up half of that, which would mean a damn sight more than you know than I originally had to pay out. So right, right. It was in some ways probably not a bad move that um, it went the way it did. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, so it sounds like you've had a lot of opportunities where you were going to get a, a, a historic aircraft and, and ended up not with it, but... Yeah, and uh, part of the effect was being in the Air Force and shifting all the time. Yeah, yeah. That sort of never helped things a lot. Um, I owned um, a glider, GAW, which was a Slingsby T-30 brick, <laughs> uh, which had been damaged when I was at Ahakia, and I was rebuilding that, and I had in um, the old NAC building, which became the museum. Right. But then I got posted before the thing was movable, so I sold that at that stage. Yep. And then I had quarter shares in a Tiger Moth BVN. Right. Uh, which was at Woodburn, and the other three guys, one was an engine guy called Chris, who did the first engine for uh, the first of the Fokker Tri-Bang replicas. Okay. But, um, uh, not Rankin, who did that? Uh, was it Stuart Tantrum? Stuart Tantrum's one, yeah. yeah. Um, one of the other members had gone to Saudi Arabia and eventually um, a guy came and made us a good price, offered us a good price and um, yeah, so we, we took it and no longer had the Tiger. Right. So you did a bit of flying yourself then, did you? No, no, not, not, not officially. Right, right. Had a bit of time tooling around in air trainers. Yeah. But, um, no, the ambition, well, the trick, of course, was always to buy an aircraft, get it restored, and, um, you know, then learn to fly in it. But, uh, so we sort of went the long way around. When I was at um, Tirapa, I did my trade certificate. Yeah. And then after I got my trade cert, then I started doing my license, and I finished my license off when I was, this is my engineer's license, yeah. when I was at um, Woodburn. Right, yep. Okay. Uh, um, so what else we tell Oh, the Derby had put the guys in the States with a solid flyboat onto me to see if I could help out with some bits for them. Yeah. So eventually we went up to Dwayne, uh, Dwayne Air Mode and brought all the ex-solent stuff he had. Okay. He still had some solent stuff there. Um, so we brought all that off him and packed in the crates and shit tent out of the States. And then we did a deal with Safe Air when the freighters were going out of service to buy some freighter motors because they were very close to the same model as in the Solent. Right. Now this is the Solent that you see in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yes, yes, yep. Um, so we, I bought these 10 engines off Safe Air, paid $1,000 for 10 power plants. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then move them down here to Blant to Christchurch, which was a bit of a, a trick because they're not easy things to move. No. And then um, from there, they were on sold to the guys in the states who wanted them, and then they moved them, uh, yeah, across to the states. Yeah. But I think that project ran out of money. Were they actually intending to fly the Solent then? At yeah. The, origi the original idea was they wanted to have it as sort of a, a flyable marine laboratory. Ah. Then. They changed their plan, and the next plan they had, which I thought was going to be a brilliant one, is they were going to do a tourist-type thing whereby you'd be greeted at the flying boat by people in 1930-style, you know, um, uniforms, etc. Yeah. You'd have silver tea service and stuff on board the, the flying boat. You'd do a short flight around the place. When you landed somewhere, you'd get met by a bunch of vintage cars with people in the appropriate dress who would then take you to the... 
uh, around doing a sightseeing tour, followed by high tea later on. Yeah. And then um, back on the flying boat, uh, you know, and really whack these people in the wallet for it. Right, right. So it was going to be a sort of a uh, an Art Deco type touristy thing. Right, sort of a flying um, Orient Express type experience. Yeah, sort of type thing. And yeah. Yeah, I think it would have been brilliant, but yeah. it was two guys trying to restore a solid flying boat. Um, a bit ambitious. Yeah, very much so. I never realised it was just two guys. That's, that's amazing. Yeah, it was just the two brothers. Yeah. Rick and Randy. Okay. You know, Rick came out to New Zealand a couple of times, and I also uh, went and visited him in the flying boat. Right. Um, because I managed to get a couple of free trips off to view uh, the CAF air show in Harlingen. Oh, wow. Now, the way that came about, um, the late Alan Rowell, who was um, very heavily involved with the aviation scene at MOTAC, yeah. Alan worked for um, Air New Zealand, had done for many, many years, and therefore he was entitled to so many free trips per year. Yeah. And if you organise a tour with Air New Zealand and get 20 people on the tour, the 20th person goes for nothing. Right, okay. As the tour leader, so... Me and Alan put together this campaign and we got 20 odd people. Um, Alan got the free, uh, the, you know, the tour leaders one because he had arranged a lot of it. Yeah. But because he had free travel, he gave it to me because I'd helped him out. Ah, right. So we went off to, to Harlingen to the air show there in 1980. Ah, okay, yep. And yep. one of the other people on that tour was Dave Frowen. Right. Does that ring a bell to you? Yes, um, from uh, the Air Force Museum. Um, well, uh, he was the Air Force psychologist. Ah, okay, yep. Might be a different Frowen, but he did that little booklet about engineering aircraft. Yeah, well, that's, that's where I, I was connecting it, because um, he, he built a lot of the aircraft that were in the museum. Oh, okay, yeah, well. Models, yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, Dave Frowen was with us. Uh, interesting spending your time with a psychiatrist. <laughs> We did this trip around the Hawaii. We came back and we had a couple of nights in Hawaii on the way back. So me and Dave decided we're going to do a tour of Hawaii on this motorbike. So we go and rent this bloody motorbike. And it was all good fun. And it was one of the motorbikes that got the solid spoke wheels. You know, not, not wire spoke, but you know, the big sort of five or six spokes per wheel type thing. Yeah, yeah. So we doing this tour. And we stopped and go to an aquarium somewhere. Parked the, the bike up the on top of the car park in the shade under a tree and he changed it up for insurance purposes. Great. That's good. We go to the uh, aquarium and watch all the, the things going on. We come back out, hop on the bike with their helmets and stuff on. Dave hops on and blats it. We go about six feet, I suppose, and the bike screeches to a halt. I sort of climb, I'm on the pillion, I sort of climb up his back. Yeah. And he said, shit, I forgot to undo the chain. <laughs> So it had gone to just the chain letters before we um, squished to a halt. Oops. Oops. <laughs> oh, brilliant. But, uh, well, yeah, and then, of course, do all the other touristy things in Hawaii, the, out to the Pearl Harbor tour and the Arizona Memorial. Yep. You know that Elvis Presley raised most of the money for the Arizona Memorial? Is that right? Apparently so. I had never heard that. Yeah, that apparently is the story. It's mainly, he was the main fundraiser for it. Wow. Amazing. Mainly to check that on Google, but that was the story that we were told. Right, okay. 
Yeah, and um, you know, you obviously still do the air shows in New Zealand um, every now and then. Um, do you think that you know? Have you got a favourite air show? I would think it would be on Marker now. Yeah. Wanaka, I don't even bother with anymore. Yeah. I went down Wanaka a few times working with um, Nigel Wilcox, who owned, who at that stage owned the Aviators Gallery. Right. Yeah. And worked on a store down there with him. Uh, but uh, since the demise of Tim and the aircraft collection, um, I wouldn't bother going to Marker. Uh, to sorry to Wanaka. Right. Right. Well, I've done every Marker one so far. Yeah. Mind you, now that you're moving to Dunedin, you're going to be just down the road, aren't you? Yeah, but I'll still come up to a marker. Right. Okay. Um, that's what I've got a motorhome for. Right, true. I also go down to Mandeville. Okay, okay. Um, yep. They have a flying every February. Um, I miss this February one, but uh, that's a real low care affair. Yep. Yeah, it looks like uh, a, a great place down there. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, it's, it's nice down there. And the one of the... Uh, I saw this dollar flying from Greg McDonald. Um, I worked at Mount Cook with him right. before he went flying. Right, okay. And it was his father that owned the um, Mobile Mustang. Ah, right. Same McDonald. Yeah. And Greg's got a Whitney Strait and a Oster, and I think he's got a tri pacer being converted to a pacer. Okay. So it's always good to catch up with him. Yeah. Did you ever see the Mobile Mustang flying? Yes. Right. Yeah, lots of times. Yeah. Um, I did post some photos of it taken at an air show at Ardmore. Okay, okay. Mm. You've posted so many photographs, and I, I wanted to actually mention your amazing um, photos from my stash thread. Um, just so many photographs there of, of New Zealand aviation right across the spectrum. Um, and I think I, I mentioned one time you'd like the Forrest Gump of New Zealand aviation because you always seem to be there when something was happening. You know, always, always have a camera with you. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, you must be really pleased now looking back that you had taken the opportunity to photograph all that stuff because it's... Yeah, because well, there's lots of stuff that I've got photos of um, you know, you're never going to see again. So exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, and when I go onto broadband, I will um, actually resurrect that thread. I've got a lot more photos, but right. on um, dial-up, and I have no choice here but be on dial-up. Yeah. Um, it's hopeless, but down there I'm going onto broadband, so... Oh, great. I can resurrect it. I've oh. got lots of photos of Vincent and Villabies recovery. Ah. No, I believe there's a certain guy in Cambridge might be interested in seeing. Yeah, well, that would be fantastic to see. Absolutely fantastic. I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, these are um, the, for MOTAD and the Air Force Museum. Okay, okay. Now, um, speaking of threads, uh, there's another thread that you started, and it ran for at least nine pages, um, and I was just reading it again the other night, and that's the rumours thread. Um, that's a really interesting topic, all these rumours that have come out from over the years of yeah, different, well, different aircraft. Rumours, there must be truth in some of them. Yeah. I've got to the stage where I heard so many rumours over the years that basically I didn't chase up every rumour. Right. If, if I heard a story, I'd think, yeah, okay, and I'd follow that one away in my brain. And then when I heard another story, I'd think, well, hang about, that's not that different. That, yeah, that would make me think that maybe, maybe there's something in that one that's worth looking at. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Uh, one, of the, one of the ones that I found really fascinating was the, um, the, the supposed Fokker triplane at Trentham. Yeah, that Robert, I didn't realise at the time it was Robert Montgomery because I haven't seen Robert for many, many years. Yeah. And he said, oh, you should have introduced himself. But I don't like to sort of button other people's conversation. 
they must sort of think, well, what if, you know, why are you listening to what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, to me, it's just bad manners. But, um, but it, uh, it, it seemed like there was fairly good um, evidence, or, or at least um, eyewitness evidence, to, to suggest that, you know, that actually might have happened, that there might have been something there. Um, and I don't know if you read it, but only that night I, I, I went searching Papers Past because there's a lot more papers on the Papers Past now than there used to be. And I did find a report of stuff coming to New Zealand as, yeah, as war prizes. And there, there were the, um, sets of wings in crates, and this is before the albatross came here. So, you know, you have to start to wonder what else did come here that had wings and had, had engines. What happened to that stuff? Yeah, what happened to it? I mean, they actually said in one of those reports that um, everything that came back as a war prize was going to the Trentham, this is a 1920, so that it was um, catalogued, and then it would be dispersed around the country. So that catalogue might still exist somewhere. Yeah, and the other rumour that's always intrigued me is the story about the half-size Oxford. Yeah, yeah, that is interesting, really intriguing. It's a, it's a persistent rumour, yeah. but no one can produce a photo or tell us anything about it. But right, it had Popjoy engines, didn't it? That's what I was told. That, yeah, the Popjoy's out of um, out of one of the monospars. Yeah, so that makes sense. Yeah, that that would be a really interesting one to see a photograph of. But uh, right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's there's so many possibilities and rumours and all sorts of things out there. But uh, I, I find it a, a much more fascinating topic than you know the usual internet conspiracy theory rubbish. Yeah, well, uh, same with you know, Army Reserve at, at uh, Hamilton Airport. Well, yeah, whoopee do you know? Yeah, <laughs> stuff that doesn't doesn't do much to me. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Same yeah. with the um, uh, the stuff coming out for the air show at um, Ahakia. Well, there's nothing exciting coming out there. Well, yeah. With the and perhaps the Hornets. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I'm excited because it's going to be a big air show at an Air Force base, and I haven't been, you know, I didn't go to the 50th anniversary one. Uh, I went to a big air show three years ago and absolutely enjoyed it at Fenuapai. It was amazing. Um, so, you know, for someone like us younger ones who didn't get to go to these big air shows all the time, like you guys yeah. had back in the 60s, it is something quite big. But, um, no, but I mean... When I, when I see the aircraft turning up there, I think, well, except for the Hornets, um, there's nothing particularly wonderful. You know, you can see um, C-17s in and out of um, Hayward whenever you sort of want to wander down there, basically. Yeah, yeah true. And, and um, for me, that's not what I'm going to see. I don't want to go and see overseas air aircraft anyway at, at an RNZF 75th anniversary. That, that, that's secondary to seeing the RNZF as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and also the historic side of RNZF. I mean, I'm so excited that we're going to have um, the Avenger there. You know, that is brilliant to have an Avenger back flying in New Zealand. Um, and, you know, two Spitfires, all that sort of thing. That That's great. And, yeah. I'm not, and also, I'm not going to Wanaka this year either, so... Um, oh, I'm not going to Wanaka. Yeah, so I'd much rather, you know, go to... A hockeyer and, and be at the big air show, um, and yeah, that that'll that'll be me for the for the years. <laughs> but yeah, but um, yeah, look, back to that room. So there were some interesting things that I hear stories about. Oh, yeah, where did that story start? Yeah, the one about um, an aircraft on an old barn, the wire wrapper. Well, that possibly might have been a horse barn. It might have been Frogley's 
66. Right, right. Which I managed to see before one was still in the barn. Yeah. I mean, everyone you talk to has these, like, from, have been in um, recovery and restoration, and that, they've all got these rumours that they've heard and picked up on, and um, some of them have got to be true. Uh, and some of them, you know, that someone might have seen something there, but that's no longer there because the farmer scrapped it or something like that. But Yeah, well, I spent a lot of time, um, I think I mentioned about the story I heard about a dauntless down south. But right. um, that story, I was attacked, I was, I was chasing. They originally said they were two aircraft at Parnassus, which is about you know three k from where I am right now. Okay. And when we chased it around, it, it turns out what it probably was was a pair of top dressers parked under a tree. Oh, okay. For a couple of nights, yeah. You know, well, they top dressing the area. Right. Someone right. had spotted them, but that's what the best we can nail it down to. But um, that's where an Oxford mysteriously was described to me as being a dauntless. Right. Did I not mention that one to you? You may have. It, it sort of rings a bell, but... Yeah, I wrote, wrote the story up. Um, uh, we were chasing off those airplanes, and we were, I actually went up to the place of my previous landlord now, there was yep. a house involved, and the woman there said, no, I know nothing about that. My, uh, my uncle or cousin had one, and he lives down with a kaya. Oh. I said, oh, yeah. She said, uh, yeah, his name's Michael Poff. Oh, that's interesting because I know that name. Yeah. And I said, oh, okay. Here, he said, yeah, there's a couple of airplanes down there. I said, what were they like? And she said, oh, they look like those ones they fly out of, out of uh, the noisy ones that fly out of Wigram. Well, this was back in the late '60s, so they were talking Harvard. Yeah. She said, but the propeller on the front it had three blades on it, and all on the back of the the wing, there was lots of circular holes in the back of the wing. Right. I thought, okay. Holy wing and three bladed pop looks like a Harvard. Yeah, that to me is a layman's description of a dauntless. Absolutely. But his name's Michael Poff. Well, Michael Poff had an airplane up here in Oxford. Okay. Because um, uh, Chris Roger, I think, was got bits of it. Right, right. But did he also have a dauntless that nobody knows about? Well, I don't think so because I can't find one that it was likely to be. But it just—it's one of those stories that we're hanging about, you know. Yeah. I'm getting enough details here, but it's it's just not ringing true. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And she wasn't the sort of person to, to invent a story. No. There were also known of people to invent stories to throw other people off the track. Yes, yeah. That's not unknown. Yeah, it's a, it's a mysterious world sometimes, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, it keeps, it keeps you yeah, busy. Yeah. Well, um, uh, we probably should uh, finish up this um, interview, but um, one thing that uh, I always ask everybody who's on the forum is what what have been your f most favourite um, threads in the time that you've been on there? What? Um, I would think very possibly, well, can I narrow it down to two? Yeah. One would be the Azure World War Two stuff, Yeah. and the other would be um, preserving New Zealand aviation history. Right, right. Okay. Um, any particular threads with them then that have really sort of struck a chord with you? I never bother with the flight sim one because I, I don't have a flight sim stuff. Right, right, yeah. Um, so that does sort of nothing for me. And uh, there's another one down in the, the bottom there. Uh, the gliding doesn't hold a lot of interest for me. No, no. It doesn't seem to hold a lot of interest for anybody, really. There's, 
No, but then again, you, you know, if you've got a gliding guy on there, he may be interested. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It doesn't but get what, a lot of traffic is what I meant, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> what it does annoy me is people who post a story so they've found out something really, really new and they've not bothered to do any kind of background check to see how well known it is. Right. Yeah, you know, like someone say, oh, I just found out we had a measurement one in New Zealand. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry, sunshine, that's not news, you know. Yeah, yeah. A quick, a quick search and you would have got... Yeah, you would have found out all about it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, mind you, everybody's new to it at some stage, so... Yeah, but... Um, yeah, yeah I, know, I know what you're saying. But, uh, yeah, just a quick check beforehand, before you, you think that, you know, you've just discovered the, the Holy Grail. Yeah. <laughs> and, the, um, and the other thing I get annoyed with is people who can't spell correctly. Yeah, well, I'm... And the reason I, that annoys me is I think if their spelling is incorrect, what else are they telling me that's incorrect? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm as guilty as anyone of uh, misspelling, and sometimes I don't notice it until I, I read back long afterwards and think, oh, man, you know. Yeah, I've I, I got a tendency of not proofreading, but yeah. it just annoys me because you think, well, hang about, you know, if he has to spell the person, you know, the, the name of the place right, what, you know, is the person's name wrong or what? Yeah, what else isn't, isn't correct? Exactly, yeah, you do sometimes um, when it's... Uh, uh, something important that's spelt wrong uh, it, c it can come across as a bit of misinformation but um, I mean generally the, the information that we get on the forum is just amazing and as far as I'm concerned you're one of the guys that has really made the forum brilliant because oh, thank you for you, that. You, you've, you've gone right through an amazing career with all these different um, aspects of it and um, you know there's a few people on the forum that have that experience that where anyone can ask a question and, and someone like yourself or, you know, Peter Lewis or some of the others will, will come out with the information. Yeah. And and that, that's just wonderful. It's absolutely brilliant for anybody out there that's trying to find out about something. And, you know, but where else can we find some of this stuff? You know, you, you won't see it in magazines, that sort of thing. Yeah, I've got a bad habit of winding people up size too. <laughs> It's a bit of a hoot. That's all right. No, uh, most of the time it's me, so I don't mind. Hopefully, <laughs> yeah, that the people see it's a bit of a wind up. But, um, yeah. The funny thing is that my career was never planned like that. It's just things that happened. Yeah. Right place, yeah. right time. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, yeah, okay, yeah. Let's give it a go. Yeah. No, I, I absolutely appreciate all of the stuff that you've put up there, and it's um, it's just been wonderful to see your photo collection right back to your grandfather standing on top of the hangar at uh, Hobsonville, you know, and all, all through your Air Force um, days and, and your warbird recovery days, that sort of thing. It's just been fantastic. It so, was quite handy um, living too, where I did not far from Motat. That, yeah. Um, you know, like when the Lancaster arrived, other people might have not been able to get there when I just walked down the road and there it was, you know. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, thank you very much, Nev. I, I've really enjoyed um, talking you, with you and um, I'm sure that a lot of listeners are going to really enjoy this interview as well. Well, thank you for inviting me and uh, one day I'll have a few beers I'll tell you some more stories. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, that'd be brilliant. I'll bring along the uh, recorder and we'll make another show. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cheers. Uh, take care. Good night. Bye.